From the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Bracely, presented by a Cloud Guru, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, so it's both of us this week. Uh, Aaron, I'm actually back, and Brian, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's uh, we're getting getting ready for the holiday season. It's good to everybody back. I'm back home after what did, I, what did, we, what did we figure out a hundred flights this year. So it's good to be done done <laughs> yeah. traveling for the year. And I thought I traveled a lot, and I didn't travel anywhere near that this year. Yeah. So, so two quick things, and then we'll, we'll kind of jump into our guests. So first of all, actually, a shout-out. So uh, this one's kind of uh, interesting. So found out through the grapevine. Uh, so, Brian, there is a sophomore at our local high school. His name is Clark. Clark likes to listen to the Cloudcast in chemistry class uh, because, of course, he wants to learn about cloud computing, first of all. But second of all, because uh, I, I've heard he likes to drown out his lab partners and uh, w- would rather listen us than his lab partner. So, so hey, Clark, thanks for listening. Nice. Um, and second of all, <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have 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 guests uh, or, or have uh, listeners and, and hear the stories about around them sometimes, right? Um, and second of all, the charity. Um, it is Krispy Kreme challenge time of the year. And so we, we do have new listeners every year. And I know we've talked about it a little bit, but Brian, you want to give everyone a quick rundown of what's going on and where we're at with the fundraising so far? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we for anybody who's listened before, uh, uh, it's Krispy Kreme season for anybody's new. It's Krispy Kreme slash the donut run season. You know, it's our annual thing. Uh, fundraiser, um, all of the money goes to the North Carolina Children's Hospital. Aaron and I do dumb stuff. We we run five miles. We eat a dozen donuts. And we we uh, we try and get it all done in an hour. Nice thing so far. We we sent out the fly. You know, sort of the the reminder that we're kicking off the charity thing. Uh, we are now just short of about a thousand dollars. I think our goal is around four thousand dollars. And this thing runs until the first week in February. So obviously, lots of time for folks to to make donations. Everything's tax deductible. If you want to do it this year, we'd, we'd appreciate it. But uh, big thanks to, to everybody so far who has made donations and uh, we got to start running. So we got to get ourselves in shape a little bit. Yeah, I know. And hopefully it'll be warm this year. We'll see. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, listen, man, enough about uh, enough about us and uh, our droning on and running and, and all that stuff. We have a we have a very good we have a very good guest, not, not a very good guest. We have a great guest today. You know, one of the cool things about uh, holiday seasons is is lots of gifts, lots of new things. And very excited this week to have really a legend of the software industry um, who has had one uh, mega hit, one enormous hit, and is uh, starting up another company. So very excited to have Rod Johnson, who is the uh, co-founder and CEO of a new company called Atomist. Rod, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to meet you guys. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for joining us today, Rod. Um, so for those that aren't familiar, uh, give everyone uh, you know, a quick uh, overview of your background prior to Atomist and your background with development platforms in general. You know, for, uh, for those that don't know, um, you started SpringSource and, and, and sold that off to VMware uh, in 2009, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was uh, working as an enterprise Java developer and architect in the late 90s, early 2000s. So you know, I was there really at the inception of of J2EE, and I experienced firsthand the many practical problems people faced back then. And as a result of that, I wrote uh, a book called Expert One-on-One J2EE Design and Development. Actually, it's been making the rounds on Twitter today. People have been tweeting the cover for some reason. And in that book, I argued for a simpler approach, which was essentially built on dependency injection. So inversion of control, where configuration was kind of applied 
to code rather than you going out and asking the environment to it. So that in turn uh, became the Spring Framework as an open source project that was founded in early 2003. Spring has become very popular, continues to become more popular day by day. And, you know, Spring Source was the company that I and the leaders of the Spring Framework established. Yeah, so very cool. And it was one of the, <clears throat> really one of the very early companies that uh, that established that you could, you know, you could build a big community, big robust community around uh, open source, and then also have a way to to monetize it, or at least have a, a very uh, profitable exit and so forth. Um Talk us to us a little bit. You you obviously you did that. Um, it was sold in two thousand nine. You know, you're, like you said, you're a, you're a technologist at heart. What kind of brought you back to to wanting to to do another company again? Like, what's the what's the big trend maybe that you saw that you said, you know, I want to get back in and I want to I really want to go attack this space. It was really initially prompted by the microservices movement and looking at the fact that whereas people moved away from the traditional monolith to lots of smaller services, and in many ways that was good. It was good for deployment, velocity, etc. But it also created new challenges that I don't think um, are solved by existing products. So it was basically motivated by the same thing that motivated me with creating Spring in the first place, which is, you know, there is this thing here that seems very complex and broken. Let's attack the thing that is most complex and broken in developers' lives and in development teams. So with respect to Atomist, it was really that how do you make sense of loads of services that may be smaller, but, you know, all have their own delivery pipelines, run on containers, potentially all over the place, have a large number of teams. You know, there's a team for each service. Those teams overlap, uh, but nevertheless, they are distinct. So, you know, how do you make sense of all that? How do you get greater visibility and control into what's going on in this new world? So particularly looking at, say, the Spring experience, Spring Boot is really the next wave of Spring, right? It's kind of like the rails of Spring. It's an opinionated way of creating, of uh, configuring Spring applications. It's really pretty great. It makes developing Spring applications easy. But nevertheless, you know, when you solve that problem and suddenly it's very easy to develop new services, you're going to end up with a lot of services and you're going to create another class of problem. So it was really to deal with that overall problem of visibility and control over many, many moving parts. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and so you, you recently had a um, Series A uh, announcement and, and kind of the launch of, of Atomist. And I guess one of the biggest things um, a lot of folks might want to wrap their head around first is this idea of a development automation platform. How is how is development automation platform different from, say, traditional CICD? Our take on it is somewhat different. Now, look, CI is something which I think was very important for our industry. So you know, I think CI was a great step forward. Um, I like to say that it's necessary, but not sufficient. So certainly CI enables you to automate certain critically important things like, you know, what happens when your build succeeds. But I think there's a whole range of things that should be automated but have been difficult to automate with existing technology. I think there are a range of things that developers do that are tedious, that are error-prone, have done manually. There are also a range of things that developers do on their own machines 
or in their own terminal, which other developers don't see. So, for example, often somebody in the team knows how to do something and they do it, I don't know, with some marvellous said command or something. But people in the rest of that team don't see that developer's kind of private uh, toolbox, if you like. So, you know, our motivation was partly that we feel that with a richer model, you can automate more things. And secondly, you can introduce the concept of an automation hub where automations are visible. And thirdly, that the strongest and most powerful way to do automation is an event-driven approach, where instead of just you know waiting for people to, say, run commands, you can create a system where automations respond to events, an event being something like a push, a build success, build failure, Kubernetes pod restart event, that kind of thing. So where the automations can respond to the event with rich context. Sounds a bit almost like automation glue in between the tools themselves. You, there's a lot of existing tools that are out there today. You know, yeah, I don't know. Slack integration and, and you know, uh, pipeline tool integrations and all of these. And you're kind of pulling them all together. And so it's a, a combination of glue um, to glue together a workflow com also combined with automation of that workflow. Is that a good way to think about it? That's a pretty good way of thinking about it. I mean, I think Atomist is something that can enable people to see the whole elephant. I think a lot of with a lot of existing tools, people potentially in different roles see different parts of the picture, whereas the goal of Atomist is to bring it all together. It's interesting that you mentioned Slack and the Slack integration. This is this is probably a, a good example of this because, say, you work, as many developers do, you work um, in Slack and you spend a lot of time in Slack talking to your co-workers and therefore you want you want information to go into Slack because that's where you spend much of your day. So, for example, let's imagine you're working with GitHub, you're working with Travis. You're going to get notifications if you set up those integrations from the GitHub bot, from the Travis bot, and potentially from other bots you bring in. And typically what you see is fairly quickly, you end up with a fire hose of spam, right? You end up with too many different things coming in. They all look visually inconsistent. Half of them are telling you something that the last one pretty much told you anyway. And it's kind of very wasteful and it tends to destroy the possibility of developers working effectively and communicating effectively. So with Atomist, what we do is firstly, we have by default a policy where you get one Slack channel per service, which we find is really pretty good. And secondly, our Slack integration gives you two extra things that are important. Firstly, rather than have a whole bunch of different notifications that relate to progressions through the lifecycle, you actually get one message. We call it the lifecycle message, and we update that message as things progress, for example, once there's a commit, once there's the build, once there's a deployment or similar event related to that commit, we update that message. So it's very economical with screen real estate and it gives you superior context and doesn't, you know, kind of spam um, the people out of the channel. Secondly, our chat integration gives you actionable messages. So very often happen, there's a natural next step or 
a small number of natural next steps, we can present buttons right there. So it isn't just about notification. It's, it gives you the ability to perform actions as well. So I guess that's just one example of how, how you know, we're trying to bring things together. We're trying to enable people to see the whole elephant and we're aiming at giving that degree of visibility and control across the big picture of your development. The initial thing that jumped out at me, and we've, we've been digging through a lot of the, the demo videos and, and trying to just get a good picture of, of what's going on, it, it feels to me like um, it starts in in the tools, the native tools that that develop, you know, sort of the places where developers live today. So, you know, a lot of the demonstrations show Slack integration with GitHub. It's a very bi-directional uh, sort of experience, right? You know, GitHub gave you conversations and you could go in and, and make pull requests and, and explain what was going on. And then you would see that in, in Slack. And so it, to, a, to sort of to the beginning, it, it feels like, okay, anybody who just sort of knows those tools, which is going to pretty much be any developer, is going to feel comfortable in your framework sort of from day one. My, my question is, where does, where does the Atomist set of tools and frameworks sort of start and stop? And, and where do other things plug in? Like, you guys aren't trying to be, for example, like in the IDE business. And, and you know, it doesn't feel like you're trying to be like a Kubernetes platform. So how do you sort of explain to people sort of where Atomus stops and starts and, um, you know, where, where are the most common types of integration you see? It's really about visibility and control of your existing tool chain. So, yeah, we're certainly not trying to reinvent, say, the – absolutely not the IDE. Um, but – what we want to do is make it easier to integrate the different tools and give you a view of everything that's happening. So let me talk about a really core cool concept here we have that's called the Cortex. So I've mentioned that it's an event-driven approach. So as these events occur from whatever source, Atomist can ingest that event, but Atomist can then correlate that event to things that are related. So for example, a Kubernetes pod event occurred. Atomist can correlate that to the gitchar of the push that was put into production on that pod. So it means that you can, we can both display, show this visibility, but also when you write automations, you have a rich context that spans potentially multiple tools. So you can write what we call an event handler, say in response to that event, that can you know, access everything from the actual source code, the went into that push uh, through to, you know, what we know about your Kubernetes uh, setup and your build. So, you know, every time an event comes in, it's ingested by Atomist, it's correlated with the other things that are related. And then as you write an event handler or if you write an arbitrary query against the Atomist Cortex, you can, you, you can get a lot of rich context that we don't feel you can get from other solutions. Aaron, it, it sort of reminds me, it sort of throws me back to when we were talking to, to Mark Imbriaco when he was back at GitHub in the day and they were building Hubot and, you know, there was this sort of rich interaction between what they were doing from an ops perspective, the things that would happen, what would get, uh, what would get attacked by the automation, you know, sort of the automated robotic part of the system and then what they would manually interact to. It feels like, it feels to a certain extent like you guys are blurring the lines between the development experience and to a certain extent, certain certain application lifecycle management tools or application performance management tools where, again, like you said, you're, 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 you're saying we don't want to sort of be locked into a box. We want to give people sort of that full picture of what's going on, whether you're, you're a developer or you're just anybody within sort of that DevOps organization. 
Yeah, and this yeah. is something that we've heard from some of our users where, for example, they'll find that product owners will come into the channels and they'll actually find that really interesting that now they've got something that where they can kind of track what's going on without it, you know, involving drilling into particular deeply technical tools that they don't really care about that much. Gotcha. Yep. And, and Rod, it seems like it's a really great way to, like, like you were saying, get, get really get that signal out of the noise. And so I'll ask you this, this final question, and then we'll kind of wrap up here. Um, so we kind of described all of this. So what are kind of the most common use cases and applications that your customers are doing with this today? Like if you had to describe what is the kind of the most pro- popular, you know, of course, it's probably cloud native apps. It's probably on public cloud platforms. But but how are folks actually both creating uh, new things as well as consuming with Atomist today? So one of the really popular usages concerns replatforming, where you see there is obviously, as we all know, a massive shift to cloud native. So, you know, people are trying to put in place shiny new infrastructure setups that uh, really enable their development teams to move to this new world. And it turns out that there are a number of things that are very valuable there. One is, for example, the chat ops capability. Another is that visibility of how is our code getting to production? How does that relate to what developers are doing? That's that's a pretty big motivation. Another is kind of, as I mentioned earlier, the discoverability of automations. We frequently see people moving to something new where lots of developers don't know how to do this stuff, right? They may have known how to, for example, to deploy to WebLogic, how to deploy a WAR file to WebLogic, but they don't necessarily know that much about this new process of deploying containers. So creating those automations where, for example, in Slack, you get a button that performs the next step or potentially, you know, where you automate the creation of projects. So when you create a new project, it comes along with all the ancillary setup, like the CI, like the issue tracker, like the Slack channel. You know, that's another um, major motivation. But I mean, look, the, the biggest... The biggest thing that motivates people, I think, to get in the door first is the chat ops functionality and that out-of-the-box lifecycle in uh, Slack. And I think people tend to find once they're there, wow, this is pretty cool. Now I can write a Slack bot command really easily. Now, for example, I can automate making a code change across a whole bunch of projects. Now I can actually respond to events that are coming from my deployment um, or even in some cases from my application itself. Interesting. Interesting. So, you know, obviously sort of um, wrapping up, uh, we want to we want to find all the places people can can go engage with you. But you guys, you know, you just sort of came out of stealth, uh, just announced a, a large round of funding. What are you know, as, as people start to explore uh, the, the, the platform and the technology, what are maybe a couple of the big things that, that you guys have? You know, in your in your sites in the near term roadmap that that maybe you're going to, you know, grab somebody and go, oh, cool, that's that's the next sort of big thing they're going to focus on that, you know, expands the, the space that you're in right now. Well, really, there's two things right now that we're putting a lot of 
effort into beyond you know the the fundamental platform itself um and that is kubernetes we're very interested in kubernetes we're seeing massive demand for it we think there's a bunch of stuff we can do that will be very helpful uh for people around visibility and control of their use of kubernetes and secondly is spring as you can imagine we do have uh an affinity with the spring community we kind of know a bit about the spring space so we are looking at some features, for example, that I demoed last week at Spring One that really show how we can help people work with Spring Boot at scale. So help them make sense of the tens or hundreds of services they have and both observe the life cycle of those services, get visibility and control, and also help to you know keep them up to date to ensure that um, things don't get stale and they don't become the next Equifax. So, you know, those two areas, I think, uh, definitely watch this space. Very cool. Very cool. Great, great. Thanks, Rod. Um, so we'll kind of close it out with where can folks go to follow Atomist, find more information about the product, or, or is there going to be, you know, some places you or some other folks will be um, kind of talking or other ways they can engage with you? So really the best resource is our website um, and our blog. So we have a blog called The Composition on Medium and, you know, we put, put quite a lot of content out uh, there. So, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good place to see what we're up to. On the website, you know, create an account, um, sign into Atomus, set up a Slack team and, you know, see, see what people can see what we have to offer. Yeah, very cool. Sounds great. Very cool. Thank you very much. Um, so I'll, I'll close it out here very, very quickly here. And just, uh, you know, it, it has been a little while uh, since we have asked for this, you know, uh, iTunes reviews. Um, we we would love a great iTunes review uh, if you feel so inclined, as well as we will have a link uh, both in the show notes uh, if you uh, want to uh, donate for the North Carolina Children's Hospital, uh, as well as a link on the website as well. So on behalf of Rod and Brian, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more podcasts, show notes, and everything social media. And visit acloud.guru for all your cloud training needs.